Corey Hybe, Chris Harrington, and Aaron Courtney, three broads, bringing you stories and strategies exploring manufacturing topics that challenge the status quo while laying the foundations for future success. Together with special guests, they'll celebrate what's working and unpack what is not so you can learn, grow, and succeed. So what's fun right now in Milwaukee is the Blue Angels are flying all around because this weekend is the Air and Water Show. And it's so cool to see these planes just zipping around and making a lot of noise in Milwaukee. It's a little distracting, but it's fun. It's one of my favorite <laughs> times here. Do you go to the actual show? I have in the past. This year, we're not able to make it. But, you know, we live so close to the Milwaukee airport that it's kind of fun to we can see. Show. Yeah, basically all the crazy big planes and little guys and old oh. planes. And yeah, it's just kind of oh, fun. That's, that is super fun. Yeah. There's, you know, there's the big EAA show in Wisconsin, which gets a lot of press. People go there. People sometimes make mistakes in their aircraft and perish. But no matter what, it's just, I don't know, it lifts your heart, you know? It's something. It's just the human spirit triumphing over, you know, gravity. <laughs> so, yeah. Technology, yeah. advancements. I mean, it's, it's just a cool, I don't know, it's fascinating to me, you know? It, and, I fly often, but it's every time I'm just like, I can't believe this big ass thing is getting off the crown. I know. And <laughs> I, I, I like, I'll sometimes start to think about it and be like, you know what? I'm just going to accept that this is reality because I don't want to question how this is happening. I don't want to know too much. I want it to just work. But Trust it the process, is right. <laughs> yeah. But I think keeping that sense of wonder about flight is really important, especially as it gets more difficult, you know, like security. It's easy mm -hmm. to just kind of nitpick it. And if you can just sit back a moment and be like, well, this is all so incredible and amazing. It kind of helps with that stress a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, today we don't have a guest. It's your two co-hosts, myself, Lori Hybe and Aaron Courtney. And hey, we hey. are here. Chris is not um, able Ooh. to join us this time. We miss her miss sending you. our sending our hugs, but no guests. And because of that, we have a fun article that we found mm -hmm. titled, When Will AI Usher in a New Era of Manufacturing? We all know if you're, if you're a constant listener, that's a topic that I have lots of interest in is artificial intelligence. And when we ran across this article and it relates to manufacturing, just sound like something worth worthwhile to talk about. Yeah. The original article was found on CIO.com and we'll definitely include the link in the show notes to the article. So Aaron, when you read it, what, what did, what jumped out at you? What did you think about it? <laughs> Well, ever the contrarian, one of the things that came, jumped down on me at first was the title, a little misleading, mm -hmm. when will, because they essentially walk you through ways in which AI is currently transforming mm -hmm. manufacturing for some of the examples that they give. And we can dive into that a little bit more deeply, but then they go to great pains towards the end of the article to explore why on a, like on a mass scale for smaller organizations in particular, smaller companies, it's, it's a ways off. And they sort of leave you hanging with a big question mark. We don't know when it's going to transform manufacturing for everyone. So that's one answer. And then the other answer is it already has. And they gave us some great examples. Yeah. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, no, I, I thought it was interesting. I agree that the headline kind of was a little misleading from that perspective because they're basically showing a couple of case studies of organizations that have really leaned into AI within their organization. One, one story that I found was fascinating, and I didn't even know this was the one with the diapers. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kimberly Clark, they had, or was it Procter and Gamble? Uh, yep, yep. Procter yep. And Gamble, they yep. have been pushing. I I know from some previous work that I did, they've been pushing the envelope on technology, which you know surprises a lot of people to learn that diapers are high tech and their manufacturing is high tech. But it's an industry that allows for a lot of innovation because you have a constant customer base. You know, diapers mm-hmm. are always needed yep. and you have a scale that allows you to, you know, invest in innovation and in R&D. And then finally, for in terms of AI, what struck me is there's a data set that is consistent. Because that's something that you really need with certain products. You need something that's replicable, doesn't have a lot of diversity, and the diapers actually lend themselves really well to that. So I, I, that was my favorite example because it was the most concrete, and I've been through the whole diaper problem. <laughs> yep, <laughs> journey. What do you yeah. want to call it? Yeah, and better diapers. I'm all for it. So yeah, that was really interesting. I, I, I was just, I mean, not even getting into the AI um, component of this, but mm-hmm. I was fascinated that this manufacturing process to create diapers, there's 40 separate blue streams to assemble per diaper. I mean, just that that assembly line, and I'm sure there's a ton of automation within that already, and they're producing 1,200 diapers a minute. In 140 different manufacturing lines globally. So when you're talking about data, the amount of data that they've captured, and that's the other thing, they've invested in technology to be able to capture the data. That's correct. That's step one. Yes. So they're not making Mm -hmm. assumptions. But the other thing that I found fascinating is they didn't necessarily just take the raw data and and throw it into AI, they actually created different simulated situations where there was an issue that occurred to identify it and try to, you know, be a little bit more proactive on how to minimize the downtime of their, their machines. Yeah. Um, I, I was struck by that too, because this is one of the as I understand it, well, this is, it's a little bit different than, so in AI, data, 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 right? So we know that the, the, and it's about scale, the larger your pool of data, the smarter your operations are going to be And by operation. I mean, of the artificial intelligence system. And so one of the things that I've learned that is controversial, but also necessary in um, developing AI is when it's unintentional, what happens is that AI has results. Those become data. That data is dirty might be one word that goes back into the system so that if there's a sort of it's a little bit incestuous and the mm-hmm. AI begins to learn from itself this is different this is where they're sort of artificially creating a situation in which the the errors occur so that they can gather their data because what they were saying is these errors are rare so it's hard to get that information about those errors but those errors when they do occur are so costly that it's worthwhile to artificially 
generate those errors so that they can collect the data on how they occur and just engineering that puzzle. That is not my zone of genius at all. <laughs> but that's what I think is fascinating to me when I read that. And one of the, this is a, a statement from the article, from a business perspective, we've been able to reduce glue related scrap by 80%, which is a very successful outcome. I mean, any manufacturing company, a huge goal is to minimize your scrap because scrap is lost revenue at the end of the day, you know? And so it, that's a huge number. 80% is, is quite significant yeah, um, and impressive. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what another, like a bigger issue that's sort of on top of this article that is very interesting when you're looking at manufacturing specifically is the the value to investment and how you determine that so again scale being so important and i'd love to kind of dig into what that means for the smaller manufacturers that that all these systems are right now they just benefit the big players because sure, because of the scale yeah yeah the amount of investment that they put they've managed to recoup because they're fixing these problems that have to be, you know, generated through a very large scale. But that's a big outlay of cash to get to the point where you're getting that 80% of savings on scrap. And what are the opportunities available for a smaller outfit to, to capitalize on that knowledge? And I'm not sure. And I, I, I would like to see more of that. And in other words, more of that learning being disseminated that even if, you know, you don't have the data collection and the implementation on your floor, you can reap some of the value of what's being learned. You know, obviously they don't want to share that with their competitors, but if there's some way that we could operationalize the dissemination of learning so that, the, you know, the smaller folks have a chance to to really exploit the learning that we're getting from AI. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that 100%. And that would be the end goal. But let let to some extent the R&D, you know, come in at the cost of the larger companies and then find efficiencies that can carry down to the smaller companies. The article also had a case, which was Siemens, where, you know, I think this is the opportunity to support those smaller um, manufacturers is Siemens is actually using the products that they're selling that has AI built within their product. True. And um, right. I thought that was kind of cool that, you know, the, the, what was it that they were, they didn't really specify exactly what it was that they were developing or building, but it's basically learning from the production lines and then the machines themselves would be able to modify the, the way that they're producing the equipment to minimize mistakes and and maximize right production. So I think that's that's super cool, but also yeah. kind of like scary at the same time. <laughs> well, they're robots learning. <laughs> that's when I I listened recently to an interview with the founder of at over at Google, and he he's really at the forefront of this. Of the, of the learning, the AI doing the learning, and it gets complicated with lots of different terminology, but essentially there's, there's two t 
types in a sense of AI, one where you program all the parameters in yeah. and it just gets really, really good at doing its job. And then mm -hmm. the other where it's more about learning and experimentation mm -hmm. and there are rewards within the AI, AI system for the, the machine or the computer to begin to experiment and try things on its own. And then that's where the really huge leaps come. And that's really important for something like chip manufacturing with, you know, Siemens and others, mm -hmm. because the margin of error for your final product is so small. So he was talking actually about protein manufacturing in labs. And, but with chips, it's similar where you need to have such perfection and exactitude that you need the system to begin to understand where the errors come from and how can I prevent them? Because it's not just a, you know, it's, it's down to the nth, infinitieth size um, of, of a error that could really cause a big problem. So big stuff. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to that point, and it, it kind of ties into the point of like these really large entities are able to invest in learning those and what it is really doing is it's customizing the technology to the very specific use case and need that you're trying to solve for. And that's where it becomes extremely challenging for these smaller companies. But I think it's an opportunity for creating some, there's some baseline or standardization components that can be scaled and creating efficiencies, but we're just not quite there yet because, you know, everyone's got their own playgrounds or some, you know, shared tools being used in the AI space, but a lot of organizations are just creating, writing their own AI, you know, creating their own AI. So it's interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that's one of the sort of, it seems to me under discussed implications of AI and it, it, it goes right back to the manufacturing model, which is that in the in the early phases of AI, it was it was funded as a public good. So the artificial intelligence systems were being built as sort of a, just a research for the sake of knowledge, and that information was shared. It was public information. In that era, and and this is sort of unknown to us. I think largely that era has closed. And so now the market-driven development is really the phase that we're in, but we closed the, um, the public good development era before, I think, we really reached for the stars and what we can do for the good of humanity and what we could do for the good of all economic drivers. And now it has moved into um, a privatization, which we have a history of a model where that's where really exciting development happens. Mm -hmm. But with this technology specifically, jury's out on whether public good will be derived from the current model, which is the you know business-driven AI development. I don't know. Well, there's a lot to to take in. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. But I, <laughs> I mean, I mean you know, it, it's an evolving space right now. There's new things that are happening constantly. There's a lot of governments, you know, globally are really starting to pay attention to 
what's happening with AI and to create some regulation around it, you know, and I think that's, that's going to continue to change and evolve the landscape as well. Yeah. So, I mean, now we're talking AI at a larger, at at a bigger level, but I think manufacturing is a really sort of a a nice model to, to talk about the bigger implications of AI because it's, it's real and it's on the ground. A lot of the conversation with AI is pretty woo woo, you know, it gets really existential really fast. But with with manufacturing, not only do we need to look at the implications for the individual manufacturers, but for the products that are produced, how will it impact diversity of product availability? You know, really interesting conversation with a friend of mine who works in the building products industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not too far down the road, and he didn't give me any predictions on when, home manufacturing can be completely automated. And very, very quickly, homes can go up and they're excellent. They're not poor quality because the automation has been built to to such an extent that, that all, you know, the joists are reinforced or what. I don't know. I'm not a building person. But what happens then is that you have a competitor who's invested in being able to build those homes okay. and needs to sell a lot of those homes in order to pay back those industry, well, the individual company's expenditures. And so they will quickly need to outcompete their competitors who are not using mm-hmm. that technology. And I think that's certainly something that manufacturers are going to be looking at. You know, yep. what is the competitive landscape once these tools become introduced? I mean, yeah, that, that's a very valid argument. And a lot of what I'm seeing in the marketing space that as mm-hmm. a marketer, if you are not leaning into AI, you're going to fizzle out fairly quickly. I mean, it, it's changing the landscape. It's not replacing jobs. It's creating new new jobs. And you have to learn how to use the tools to create efficiencies so that, you know, we can produce more. And, and, and I could go on this tangent for a very long time. I'm not What's going this? to. Oh, <laughs> I, I, maybe we can do that another time we're offline because it yeah. is really interesting. But I would recommend, and I think there's a, an opportunity to look at, I have two points to share. Look at AI outside of just the production line, how it can be incorporated to other aspects of not just the manufacturing, but any business. I think there's a lot of opportunities for creating efficiencies. But one area that I I do believe it can be extremely beneficial and it aligns with some of the case studies in the article here is, you know, the one thing that any business owner or business leader wants to do is make intelligent business decisions. And what AI is doing is helping to move that process along a lot faster because it's gathering the data, which is what everyone needs in order to be confident in the decision that they're making and the data is telling a story and, you know, historically we would just as humans spend a lot of time analyzing and digging through that where AI is, mm-hmm. it's doing that for mm-hmm. us. And so mm-hmm. it's allowing us to move faster and have more confidence in that intelligent business decision-making process. I really, I really like that, Lori, because I think you're helping us solve the problem we just sort of thunk, laid down in front of our listeners, which is like, well, maybe not for you, it's too expensive. No, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. That's right. Look for those points of difference that an artificial intelligence system can bring into your business 
at a price point that you're willing and ready to make the investment because yeah, you're not a Siemens, you know, you're not a Procter and Gamble perhaps. That doesn't mean that you don't have a business that you need to run intelligently as Laura just so beautifully put it. And there are tools and it's marketing and it's many other places mm-hmm. available to help you do that. And there are wonderful resources out there to help you kind of move through the weeds on these things. Yep. So rather than, you know, I can't afford it, I can't do it. I hesitate to use the term baby steps, but that's really what can help keep you competitive because probably I would imagine most of your competitors, direct competitors are also in terms of availability of capital to pour into AI mm-hmm. or about where you are. Yep. So it's about the decisions you make, not always just about the money that you spend. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to invest in a tool and then things are magically going to happen. The investment is not just a financial one, but it's a time one as well. Correct. Because you have to learn how to use a tool. You have to teach it and then figure out how exactly you're going to incorporate it into your specific business use case that you're trying to solve for. And and that that is a time investment. It's not a magic switch. It's not a magic wand. (laughs) So I want to get clear on that. (laughs) Now it feels a little bit like one when you, I don't know, when you have something work out, you know, when you're using one of these tools and you're you're like, oh, I'm going to give this a shot. And you're like, oh boy, you know, it it can kind of blow your mind, but Mm -hmm. that, the, the, the time investment that you're talking about is making the decisions about which tool to use and why to use it. And to be really cautious, you know, I would encourage all of our listeners, we all went through this and Lori, you probably have a lot of stories from the war room. In fact, I've heard a few of them about, for example, a CRM. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's going to solve your problems. You need (laughs) to do this. You need to pour money into this. You need to, and it's going to be, and how many people, well, they didn't walk away from the situation. They're just sitting there feeling like they got kind of took a bit Mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. And we were all there. We all got sucked into that. And I think that we, you know, lesson learned. Yeah. Think first about the problems that you want to solve, then look for a tool that will help you solve that problem. Do not let yourself be drawn in by possibilities you hadn't even considered because somebody is sending you a really nice pitch deck. Love that. This is a good time, I think, to transition to our second half of the segment where we finished the sentence. I just learned that. So Aaron, what do you got for us? What did you just learn? Well, I'm in the process of learning. Is that, how's that? Sure. Yeah. I'm works. in the process of learning. So we all remember the left brain, right brain, mm-hmm. you know, the left brain is the logical part of you and the right brain is the more poetic part. That's been, that's been dispelled a bit. That's not exactly correct. However, there are parts of the brain that do master some of these things that seem sort of beyond consciousness, you know, what your personality, for example, you know, we've heard the examples of someone who will have brain damage and then their personality will change dramatically. There are also many instances of where, you know, a lesion or some sort of injury will really impact language. 
on one side of the brain or on the other. And I think the those have led us to believe that like, oh yeah, they're, they're super different. And the whole goal is to like, kind of get them to work together and they'll be supercharged. And I'm learning that that's a misunderstanding, but still wanting to explore, it's called lateralization. What the, what the truth is behind that. Interesting. Yeah. How about you? Um, well, I, I was just going to comment that I've always been middle-brained, so I, I love it. That's an, even a thing, <laughs> like middle <but> earth. <laughs> I'm always in the middle of the road, whatever. It oh, is. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good balance. Actually, that is so true, but you have to be, to be a modern day marketer, you have to have that logician thing going on. And mm-hmm. then also the creativity. So, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. All right. So I know I always like to go AI route, but since we had a healthy conversation on AI, I'll skip it today. (laughs) But I just learned that, you know, when Netflix kind of cracked down on the password sharing Mm -hmm. account thing, they gained 5.9 million subscribers in the order. So that was a huge spike for them. Wow. Hmm. So I, I'm wondering how many other platforms where there's a lot of sharing password sharing are going to go, wow, that increased our revenue significantly. We should do that. I, you know, I'm, I feel like, I feel like such a ding dong because I did not know it was like a whole thing and I oh, wish yeah. I would have done it with my mom. <laughs> Sorry, mom. It's too late. I'm not yeah. going to say what accounts I have, but you know, the, fam- the family sharing the family you know, sharing. No, it I goes, mean, it goes a long way. It made a lot of sense. But one has to wonder, like, I don't know that they planned it out that way, but you get people hooked, right? And then well, yeah. that's a great marketing technique because they actually promoted it. I did not even know that they promoted the sharing for a time. So, yeah, they have different packages or accounts. And I think you're going to have so many number of users or so many people mm. on your account. So, mm. Hmm. Yes. Well, cheers to you, Netflix. Although I just want to say the content used to be better. Ups and downs. Ups and downs? Uh, ups and downs. I'd say okay. it's ups and downs. Okay. I don't know. I'll- right right now I've been I've been watching Suits. I know that's an older show, but I'm obsessed with that and I'm gonna rewatch it again because oh. it's so good. It's good. It's okay. So good. I haven't watched it. Okay. I, you would love it. Oh, it's I so think good. I would. <laughs> I saw a clip and there was this one guy and he was just talking so much trash and he was, he was beautiful. I loved it. I was like, I think. No, I'll you're going to like it. Show. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It. Okay. The others what? exclusively Netflix. we're just oh. on Netflix, but. Oh, got it. That's the top of mind right now. Okay. Sounds I know good. there's, there's, there's other ones and I'm sure like I have a list on my phone somewhere of everything that you should watch on Netflix that people oh. told me to watch and I haven't even okay. All right. caught up on that. But anywho, okay. some other time. All right. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks for, thanks for getting that article to us. We'll put that in the show notes. I think I would love, love, love to hear our listeners reaction to this conversation because this is such a wide open area it's important for business. It's important personally. So I'm very eager to hear what people have to say about this. Yeah, th- this is a great conversation. All right. So three broads signing off here, even though we're missing one, definitely reach out. If you've got a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, we want to hear from you.
Thanks a lot, everyone. This wraps up today's broadcast. If you're looking to shake up the status quo at your organization or just want to connect with these broads, visit mfgbroadcast.com. Contact Lori Hybe for your strategic digital marketing initiatives. Contact Chris Harrington for OEM and aftermarket digital solutions. And contact Aaron Courtney for web-based solutions for your complex business problems. We've got a great offer specifically for our listeners. You can find more information about the offers and your hosts at mfgbroadcasts.com.